Every Saturday is Catterday on Echoplex Media, and not only are we posting fucking cats, we invite all content creators to join our open panel. Visit echoplexmedia.com slash panel to learn how to join. Every third Saturday is Operation Catterday, where we cover this week and last year and play the best clips from the cast of conspiracy characters that now space has learned to loathe. The show starts at 8 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. Find our full schedule at echoplexmedia.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media for beautiful food and inspiration. Just a bunch of big small towns 
everybody. Welcome to Down Ballot. We do the show live once again, back on Tuesday, where I think the show belongs. That's uh, 7.30 Pacific, right here on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Media. We'll be doing this every night, uh, but one night a month, because I'm going to go out to an open mic hosted by a friend of mine over here one night a month. But uh, yeah, good times, good times. Um, you can support this project. Go to echoplexmedia.com, click the support tab at the top of the website, find lots and tons and lots and tons of great ways to support us. And of course, I don't know, tell a friend about the show or tell your enemies. I'm Producer Dave. You can find me on Grinder. And with you as always is the councilman. You can find me at T-H-E underscore councilman on X, a.k.a. Twitter. Um, you can also find me feeding Bad Baby at your local artisanal urban eatery shop type place oh there you go that's what we did today <laughs> that was exciting ba- baby tried plantains um she was impressed oh well very good very good so um this first story for leading off is a bit of a crossover a bit of a, a bit of a crossing of the streams as we might say be um, careful brothers reunite a 1960s san jose rock band after they uh split up because of the cult of scientology this is Absolutely. a very down ballad uh, but mostly just very Echoplex media. E. <laughs> I. I dedicated 46 years of my life to Scientology. It's harder than getting out of a physical prison. You know what'll happen with the kids and everybody else you know eventually. I supported this organization. I did more than support it. That world has nothing to do with reality. You can't erase me. How much it has completely destroyed people's lives and taking all of their money. I always assume Scientology. It's Tony. Hi, Tony. I'm not going to ever see you again before you die. I mean, of course he has a hit record. Could we introduce you individually and then we'll do a little talking? Okay, Jeff. But because of Scientology, we got pulled out of our careers. I was worried that people were gonna figure out who he was. And then I knew he was moving out of it. Because once a person starts that move, it's hard to stop him. So I'm totally going to watch this documentary, but also I'm totally going to try to get these guys on for an interview. My God. That'd be fabulous. It'd be a nice like return engagement of local, special engagement of local love. Uh, yeah. Very interesting story in there from, uh, from right here in the South Bay. Um, yeah. So apparently the, they had a hit record. They had a hit single at least. Um, and they were touring with like the who and op- opening for the doors. Um, and then Scientology, uh, got hold of one of the brothers behind this band and sucked him in and that pretty much ruined the band and any of their chances of success um, but also caught his family up in this basically 50 year uh, you know entanglement and mess um, that he finally did apparently get out of but with, not without a lot of heartache and pain um, but this is the documentary that tells the tale so uh, kudos to you producer Dave for finding the Mercury News story that covered that um and then led me to the the trailer but um yeah i'm looking forward to that as well we should absolutely get them in for an interview um yeah uh 
not for nothing like they showed someone on screen on that uh I've, I've, we've interviewed so yeah so Wait, is it uh, tony ortega who does the or? underground okay. bunker we've interviewed um the uh the thing that i hope i mean they seem they're they're like pretty grounded like in music and in their family but i hope they don't end up in the uh anti-scientology community because that shit's a cult all its own bit of the hopefully they land okay and end up just kind of playing some gigs and doing their thing instead of uh instead of becoming like anti-scientology crusaders because that doesn't go well for a lot of people not because it's bad to crusade about against scientology it's just that you get you get like mixed up with a bunch of people whose primary goal is the clout chase not to like really help anybody is leah ramini sort of part of that or was she is she would she you not consider her part of that uh, she's a uh, reverse cult uh, she's uh, very much an enabler of it i don't know if she's uh like really aware of what she's doing but sure, sure. like i mean like um, you give you know they these people spend most of their lives in a cult so you do give them like you know some latitude to screw up or whatever but right. the the communities around like anti-scientology especially like the ex-scientologists they brought a lot of that in, in group out group mentality of the cult with them to their communities and um that's quite bad so, so the, fo- the folks you're talking about haven't simply just extricated themselves and escaped from Scientology. They are now actively campaigning in ways, in various ways, against Scientology. To, to yeah, but then they form like the the problematic thing is they form like cliques within that, mm-hmm. and then they start behaving the the way that the cult did in a lot of ways. We talk about that a lot on Thursday nights. Actually, there's one you guy know. in particular I've been going after, and then uh. In an, a very unscientology like uh, you know turn of events, I got kicked out of all the anti-scientology groups when I went after one of the people in the anti-scientology community. <laughs> very, very uncult-like of them. Yeah, you you weren't brainwashed enough, producer Dave, before you you found yourself. So that that must have been the problem. Um, but anyway, were... um, the other thing I might do, I might try to get permission from these guys or whoever public whoever made this movie to, to maybe watch it on stream one night. We'll see, because it looks like it's an independent film, and I've actually had good luck reaching out to independent filmmakers in this case. So, and if we do that, maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll do it uh, special after down ballot one night because the very San Jose story. So, oh yeah, it'd be very fun. Um, and then maybe we can like talk more about the Warlocks afterwards too. Yep, okay, the Grateful Dead. Then. Um, also formed in San Jose. All right. Well, um, thank you for finding that leading off story. I thought it was fabulous um, and, and really great way to, as you say, cross the streams and to remind everyone that there is a broad network of uh, programming here on Echoplex Media, but it all comes back to that Sunday show. Please tune in and uh, watch the derp unfold. That's really where Down Ballad started. It's where most of the, the content that you see on this wonderful network originated. So please tune in. Yeah, yeah. Well, it all most of it comes out of the fact that the Sunday show was covering so much stuff that it had to spawn. Had demon spawns came out of the place. <laughs> it's got water spilled on it, or it stayed up too yeah, late, or whatever the fucking gremlins thing all, is. We, we spilled water on it, and it stayed up too late. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> and then, all right. Well, we did hey, have to put a couple of the shows in the microwave, but that's different. <laughs> and down ballots, you know. Um, Certainly one of those. We're, I think we're still baking. We're in that phase of like, you know, they say, let's sit for, let's stand for 15 seconds. We're in that phase, I think, right now. Let's stand. Um, let, let, uh, let, let, what is it? It's like, let cure for 160 episodes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to burn your top of your mouth. That's, that's the thing. Um, and, uh, and let it sort of, it, it's, it keeps the ingredient, the, the instructions say, you know, it, it is still cooking itself. Um, so we're baking ourselves here. Anyway, let's move on to winners and losers because fuck it, there are no winners. Well, there sometimes are, but usually not on this segment. Yeah, what's this first story about? 
Well, the first of all, the headline here is, I think, fucked up. Uh, I think someone fucked up on it. It's, it's Doom Loop walking tour. Uh, so looks like uh, we're going to have a, a series of stories here in Winners and Losers about San Francisco and the perception of San Francisco, both locally and globally and nationally and whatnot. Um, but apparently an SF city official got themselves in a little bit of hot water because they were offering what they refer to locally as a doom loop walking tour, not a doom loom walking tour, a doom loop and not a loom of string or whatever. Uh, they're not sewing anything. Uh, it's not a sewing or a fabric, uh, gar- garment district tour, right? Um, no, no, this is a tour of basically what this official considered to be hotspots for some of the darker places in san francisco uh, so that people get a real sense of what's really going on out there so just another example of local media really highlighting the beauty of san francisco and why people should want to live in the bay area new at 11 a san francisco city official has been forced to resign after offering a doom loop walking tour to show the city's not so glamorous side the canceled tour and the resignation have kicked off a firestorm of controversy here's nbc bay area's terry mcsweeney Scenes such as these are not what attracts tourists to San Francisco, and yet this is exactly what the Doom Loop walking tour was going to show people. The commissioner for the Office of Committee Investment and Infrastructure, Alex Ludlam, for $30, offered customers a chance to, quote, get close and personal to the doom and squalor of downtown San Francisco. Well, the sold-out weekend tour was canceled, and today it's Ludlam resigned, saying it was all satire and, quote, the causes of the conditions we witness daily are not individual actors, but wide-ranging policies that permit an organized, malicious element to thrive in San Francisco. Yeah, but they're called venture capitalists. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> you let Peter Correct. Thiel live anywhere for long enough, fen- and look what it's happens. Not the, not the fentanyl dealers. It's the fucking venture capitalists unchecked drug dealing is plainly the root of our current problems. Mayor Breed was quick to respond, saying the decision to organize and publicize the tour was a mistake and a deep error in judgment. We are working every day to address the city's challenges, and our focus remains on doing the work to move the city forward. Recovery advocate Tom Wolf has given dozens of free tours of the Tenderloin, downtown, and the Market Street open-air drug markets to everyone from congressional reps to local officials. This is about raising awareness to change our city's policies and to change the direction of San Francisco to help it recover because we love San Francisco. And by charging for the tour, uh, it sounds a little bit like maybe, you know, a little bit of a grift. (laughs) And I'm wondering why I wasn't charging for my tours. Tenderloin walking tours and says satire does not work in the current situation. We're in a very serious epidemic. We're in a very serious crisis. We don't need this political Footballs going back and forth across the field while we're dealing with Tyrone and Sheila who are laying on the damn ground. The tour may have been more for local consumption because the tourists we spoke to with the Powell Street cable car turnaround were not interested. It uh, seems that there's happier things that we could be doing with our time. Yeah, and if we came here to see the city uh, in, its, in its light, not its darkness. I would have sympathy for them, but I don't think I would take a tour of them. In San Francisco, Terry McSweeney, NBC Barry. <laughs> yeah, like the tourists, they, they had no pr- problem fighting tourists. And the tourists are like, I don't want to do that. Fuck that. Yeah, who wants to who wants to go on a doom loop walking tour? That just does not sound like fun. If you, if you saw that in the guidebook, right? Like the Rick Steves guidebook, he, he would probably not recommend that. And I, I don't think it would sound very appealing. Um, so yeah, uh, don't, don't recommend 
paying the 30 bucks. Although I feel like the guy who was not charging and was offering like a legit tour, uh, you know, he really should be charging, right? Like they make they make a little money apparently, uh, off of this, this, uh, this action. So, and it wouldn't be a grift. It would be a legit tour. Right. So, uh, yeah, very interesting use of, of time here. So, um, so what I'm, what I'm thinking is that like, what people don't understand is that like smaller cities, smaller towns have homeless people too. It's just that those people are able to hide more effectively. Um, they're able to, there's just, you, they're not going to be concentrated in one place, right? Like, sure. And sure. Uh, um, not for nothing, not for nothing, homeless people from all over the country come to San Francisco and particularly Los Angeles because the weather is not, it's less likely to kill you. Yeah. The, there's a refrain that you hear quite a bit amongst, um, shall we say, anti-homeless or anti-unhoused advocates, <laughs> uh, housing providers, whatever you want to call them, um, is that, oh, well, you know, there all these unhoused people, homeless people, they flock to California and Santa Clara County, particularly in the Bay Area, because... Oh, in San Francisco, because of all the resources and the programs that are offered for them, right? And we just basically give away the farm. We basically, you know, give them a bunch of money and housing, and you know, and they can they can uh, they can have a whole life just you know sucking off the government hit. That's basically the the refrain, right? Um, but really, it's just because we have really fucking nice weather. <laughs> That's all there is to it, right? And when you're in a city, right, a, ma a major city, city of metropolis, a Bay Area like we have here, there's just more opportunity to do what you need to do to survive, right? To, to find money, resources, whatever it is, a place to stay by asking, by panhandling, by just being around a bunch of people, right? And, and, and being in consort with a bunch of other folks who are facing the same dilemma that you are, right? Um, strength in numbers, right? So it, it just makes sense that you're going to see more uh, folks who are unhoused in urban communities. Plus, again, a lot of them, 80%, over 80%, 86%, I forget what the study says, of unhoused people, you know, their last address was within the county where they're currently residing, right? Right, right. Like, So, yeah, it's not, it's not like... It's not that it's the majority, it's just that it it's more. That it, it you mm -hmm. know, if you're somewhere where it yeah. snows and you have an opportunity to go somewhere where it doesn't snow and you're going to be unhoused, whether you're in one place or the other, you're going to do everything you can to get out of the place where it snows. Yeah. Like, yeah, because you're going to die in the place where it snows. <laughs> right. And you're also just not going to see, you know, there's not as many people. Right? It's just, it's percentages too, right? There's, um, and in towns like that, like in the Sierras, right? Like it's, it's, they don't have thousands of unhoused people. They have, you know, Jane or Joe, the homeless person, right? Like they probably know these folks personally, right? Like the folks that are in their communities. Um, uh, but it's just, it's percentages, right? We're, very very uh populous area and so yeah uh when when there are economic shifts major economic shifts uh and even and when we're not building enough housing to support the sheer volume of people that are living here and working on all sorts of varied levels of income um yeah this is what you're gonna see this is what you're gonna see um and it's it's it's, it's it doesn't have to be and it sucks it's, it, it's yeah, it could be it could be another way, but you know, like I said at the beginning, and it, you know, it was funny, but it's true. It's like, oh, you know, the, the worst people in the world. I'm like, you're talking about the venture capitalists, because yeah, they, exactly <clears throat> what is like, like I said it to somebody on Facebook today. It was some asshole that works at Apple. 
who, because mm-hmm. I said, I put up on Facebook, I'm like, oh, it's interesting that some people's whole ass personality is hating San Francisco. And then like, like I had summoned him, some motherfucker who works for Apple comes in, blah, blah, it's what used to be a great city, blah, 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 blah. And then I looked and I'm like, oh, you people, you're one of these people. You, you, you all are so poor that all you have is money. And like... <laughs> Like, yeah, and how long have you really been in, in San Francisco anyway? Like it was so great ten years ago when I moved here. It's like, come on. <laughs> well, this person's from um, this person was from San Jose. Oh so. well, that that makes, that explains everything. Yeah, I mean, yeah, come on. yeah. And I mean, uh, like whatever. Like, but like San Jose is going to have a different set, type of problems than San Francisco does, and not for nothing. Like there's people complain about the homelessness and almost non-existing crime here in San Jose too. People, people are there's just always it's always going to be it's always going to be hyped up, and for. For San Francisco specifically, San Francisco has been, you know, in the eighties, if you remember the thing, the, the thing about San Francisco in the mid eighties was that you go there, you get AIDS. Right. And then, and then the oh, homophobia just, just continued on right about San Francisco. And then the, the homophobia kind of fell out of fashion and then they're like, oh shit, there's homeless people there. It isn't just the Castro. <laughs> and so they're like, oh, we still hate San Francisco. You know, it's like, it's, it's San Francisco's kind of always been for like uh, people from outside of the city and more broadly outside of the bay area it's always been a thing that they think they can kick well that's um that's a great lead into the next story honestly into the the series of stories we have here and uh apparently public perception nationwide as you've uh, elucidated already uh is sort of set against san francisco san francisco is like in the hole before it even gets out the gate um, and that's unfortunate because it's a fabulous city uh, when it comes down to it. And there's a lot of great things about it. Um, but uh, yeah, apparently nationwide attitudes are not necessarily uh, similar to that. Um, and a lot of folks out there, maybe not the majority, but a lot of folks out there um, have not so great perception of San Francisco. And now they're kind of fighting that. Uh, so we're going to learn about more about that from KTVU. This survey shows that nearly half of Americans think San Francisco is an unsafe city. The poll looked at 16 large U.S. cities. San Francisco, one of the places where perception of safety has fallen. KTV's Christian Captain spoke with visitors to get their take on the city's image. San Francisco is known worldwide as a tourist destination. That reputation is part of what drew nearly 22 million visitors to the city in 2022. But a new Gallup survey shows that 46% of Americans think San Francisco is an unsafe city. San Francisco's mayor's office has said she's focused on safety, but that the results of the survey have a lot to do with partisan media and right-wing attacks on the city. The survey shows nearly 75% of Democrats feel San Francisco is safe, but only 32% of Republicans feel the same. Visitors to San Francisco say they've heard reports of chaos on the streets, but didn't find it when they saw the city for themselves. I've heard stories that the homeless are really high here and then like the crime rate is getting really bad in the last few years. But that's not what you found, huh? That's not what I found, no. It's been a great experience. <laughs> it's a reputation that has even spread overseas. <laughs> With the cars, robbery uh, in, the, in the television, in, uh, I, uh, we saw it, but we, I think the city is easy. The head of Travel SF Stuttgart's a rough place, actually. <laughs> ...find the city safe. Surveys conducted for SF Travel show nearly 92% of tourists say they want to return to San Francisco for another visit. SF Travel says it's working hard to counter the narrative that the city is unsafe. 
Our crime rate is down slightly this year, a little over 2%. And, um, and San Francisco is a safe city. The challenge we have right now is perception. There's a lot of people out there and on the internet who are, who are blogging or sending videos that don't like San Francisco's politics, don't like San Francisco. The Hotel Council agrees there's work to be done to improve the city's image. Alex Bastian says that's part of the reason the hotels have joined together, combating crime and making sure visitors have a safe trip to San Francisco. We are taking it upon ourselves at the Hotel Council and as a hospitality community to work together, to share information, to build cases on repeat offenders that impact uh, the hotel. Whoa, no, don't want the private hotel cops, uh-uh. 16 major cities across the country, Dallas, Texas was the most broadly perceived as a safe, big city. Detroit, Michigan came in last on the list. In San Francisco, Christian Kaft at KTVU, Fox 2 News. I wonder what the, I wonder if Dallas, Texas or San Francisco has a higher violent crime rate. Cause you, every time we look at those San Francisco's like right in the middle of the fucking pack, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you compare mm -hmm. it, like with what we consider to be like large cities, San Francisco's always like right in the middle of the pack. Yeah. No idea about Dallas, but, uh, yeah, God, God forbid that the people have a perception of San Francisco being dangerous. I don't know what could possibly have caused that. I don't know. Like every news story we bring up here in down ballot, uh, where they're talking about, you know, poop on the street and people getting assaulted and stabbed and randomly. And then there suddenly there's a, you know, there's a stabbing of some tech bro. And, you know, if at first it's blamed on, Oh, it was an unhoused person. It was some random unhoused person. No, it was someone he knew. It was actually his friend or his colleague or some, you know, and part of a love triangle that he was in, right? That that did it, right? But the 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 news, the local news does, and the the folks, good folks at KTVU and everywhere else that we 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 where we run clips from, um, God bless him for covering the stories that we we leverage to make a fantastic put together a fantastic show every week for you, listener. But that being said, they also perpetuate the narrative that narratives like San Francisco is a dangerous place, right? That is absolutely a narrative they like to run with. There's a whole series that Bagad Shaban and his crew right at NBC Bay Area did on some poor random dude, one one random unhoused dude who has legit issues, right? Um, and they turned that into a seven-part, I'm sure, fucking Emmy-winning fucking story about how San Francisco is going down the shitter, right? Um, we even have a whole segment of this show that I think, ironically, originally was, you know, get your shit together, SF, right? But it's really, it's ironic because it's like the, all we hear is to get his shit together so we just started saying yeah i guess they do right um so i i think local news needs to own up to the fact that they've perpetuated this too and and national news too and and national right-wing media obviously has had a huge uh role in playing in playing up the national and, and more global view of san francisco and the bay area um and we are viewed in a lot of circles in most circles as you know hippie snobs right like that's pretty much it but that's the thing is is it which one is it Gay, oh, sorry, gay hippie snobs. I yeah, but what, which one is it? I mean, which is, is San Francisco the gay hippie snob district of the Castro, or is it the Tenderloin? Or, you know, as we both know, is it a, a city with a lot of people, a lot of little different neighborhoods that a lot, a lot of different shit's going on in? And, like, you know, you get in where you fit in, whether you're a tourist or you live there. 100%. I mean, you know, the thing is, you don't hear this kind of shit about New York, right? I mean, yes, you do. I guess you did in the 80s, right? Like, maybe we're living in a different time. Um, but uh, it, but you don't hear this shit, kind of shit about other American cities, right? You just, you pretty much, maybe Some Seattle. Some extent, Portland. 
Portland, yeah, extent, Los yeah, Angeles. Northwest. Yeah, uh, yeah, L.A. It's like it's more like you know Hollywood, like, like la di da, right? They, well, they they <laughs> do the Holly. They, they, it's actually like, sort of like what they do with San Francisco. They'll it'll be a contrast of their Hollywood snobs, and then they'll show you Skid Row, right? Right, right. And they they, they, they do a San Francisco to L.A. all the time, actually. And every city has these, you know, nuances. Has this diversity? Has this? Has they have these this depth to them? That's what cities are. They're just like a bunch of fucking people who are widely different, wildly different, come from wildly different backgrounds, right? And you're throwing millions of them together, um, especially here, right, in America, where we are. Like, I don't want to say the melting pot, but you know, we. I don't even think it's a melting pot because we don't really melt, right? We still kind of like, we're like oil and water. Like salad just, bowl more like. Yeah, they throw us all together, but we're all kind of still our own little thing, right? And you take each one, but you take one ingredient out and the salad just doesn't taste as good, right? Right. Um, <laughs> but that's sort of where we're, what we are. And, you know, this, you know, the, the stories like this just serve to further those rips and just, and, and break us down into, into boxes um, and not really solve the problem. Uh, so it's, it's unfortunate we know what we know better right we know that that's the beauty of where we live just like anyone else does right I'd like um, to, it's you know this you polling know. about san francisco i'd like to see it broken down as to like do the people being polled do they live in a city because mm-hmm. i bet the people that's who good, live yeah. in a city are probably like oh san francisco is probably safe right like yeah, people yeah, who don't right. live in a city might think it's not yeah, and i don't know where you rural. draw the line but like if do you live in a major metro area not yeah. even like, do you live in Chicago, but do you live in what we call Chicago land? And yeah. if that you put, get in one pile, I bet the, I bet the responses are just so much different than in like rural Illinois. Yeah. You could do it by like population density, I suppose, something like that. Right. Um, and just say like your count, your census tract. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I would certainly be interested. I, I would venture to guess that it, I would make a theory. I would, I would propose a hypothesis that the folks in the rural communities probably perceive things to be a lot unsafer in the cities than the folks in who live in cities, right? Um, in in a general, like, like more, ge- yeah, yeah. The, the, it wouldn't be that each and every person like that because there might be somebody in Chicago who's like, well, you know, at least I don't live in crazy ass San Francisco or, or yeah, right, yeah. But then you go look at the violent Detroit. crime rate. You're like, dude, you're more danger in Chicago. You're not in danger in Chicago, but statistically, you're in more danger in Chicago than you are in San Francisco. Yeah, right, I, he, I I actually I feel really bad for Detroit. Actually, they they get uh, uh, thrown under the bus a lot, and they've done a lot to sort of recover. They had a bad patch, but they've done a lot to recover, um, and they're doing a lot to recover. Well, it, but they just completely get shit it's on. It's economic. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Detroit 100%. used to be an economic powerhouse when, it, when America was a manufacturing company. Then all the manufacturing jobs went away, and then what right. happened to Detroit? Right. It's like and it's the, it's as cars. if it's as if you know it's as if these things have have causes like. Like San Francisco, Ooh. it's sort of the opposite where it's like a, almost an embarrassment of riches where all this money got dumped in and San Francisco nope. started having all these tech bros from all over the fucking country come and like, you know, work at places like Twitter or, you know, in the early days, things like pets.com or even gay.com was like a big, you know, a, a big deal. And then like these people, they come here and they write back home. They're like, oh my God, there was someone peeing on the street. And it's like, right. well, yeah, that's San Francisco. People pee on the street here like we, well, like we pee everywhere there's there's no fucking place there's nowhere else to piss dude they pee on they pee on nordstrom's you know right. um so yeah. up next is a story about nordstrom by the way this is great you go to go on like any comment thread about it they're like oh it's fucking san francisco driving out nordstrom and then you just look up take 30 seconds 
and be like Nordstrom changing business model. And then you can see all the way back to like before, even before the pandemic, the fucking CEO of Nordstrom's like, oh, we're probably gonna have to change our business model here. <laughs> Can't do Retail's this high end retail in all dead. these expensive downtowns <laughs> and, and maintain this, co- this corporation forever. Doesn't seem sustainable in a world where people can get things delivered to themselves the next day. So I'm sure that I'm sure that ABC seven news will do a good job of explaining that to the, uh, to the, to the people that are uh, watching this local news hit, right? Yes. As always, <laughs> I have faith. This weekend, San Francisco's downtown Nordstrom store is closing, and that will mean a big financial hit for the mall that's faced multiple store closures during the pandemic. Yeah, it's a real blow, obviously. And ABC 7 News reporter Luz Pena went to San Francisco Center to speak with employees and to City Hall to ask about the plan to revitalize downtown. San Francisco's Nordstrom flagship store closes mm. on Sunday, but almost... Like, who the fuck thought that was sustainable in a world where you could have any of that shit in that store delivered to you from Amazon for 25% less, you get it tomorrow, and you don't have to leave your house? Vibrant store? Desolate. It's half of a mall that's no longer going to be here. I do think they might change the businesses. Not as many people are going to be coming here. It's already... You can already see it. It's unfortunate. A blow for the city's largest mall just months after Westfield pulled out from operating the shopping center. This Nordstrom employee who did not want to be identified said foot traffic has already decreased. It is definitely partially due to the crime. In the no, it isn't. COVID has a big impact on a lot of businesses too. The latest city data paints a picture of declining business. Sales tax revenue for the South of Market neighborhood the mall is located in has seen a 25% decrease from the first quarter of 2019 to 2023. The city's executive director of the Office of Economic and Workforce Development says the way people shop now has changed and downtown will also need to change. What we're seeing out there is that younger people, particularly when they come to the city, they want to see new Concepts. The city's planning store pop-ups in the area, but also has a plan for the mall. We're hoping that in the short term, we can bring those vendors down to ground floor where they have visibility and access to the public. One of those concepts is a soccer stadium. San Francisco's mayor, London Breed, confirmed the city is still in early preliminary stages, working on a feasibility study in the area. It's not just um, a plan for a soccer stadium. It's showing people what is possible. That we start to, we're starting to think about what is downtown in light of the challenges around retail. And to help downtown recover, more changes are necessary. The mayor's office confirmed they're working on changing laws, reforming taxes to attract more businesses to this area, as well as keeping the streets clean and safe. And just days before Nordstrom closes, a new IKEA store opened in San Francisco, bringing hope and excitement to this area. IKEA opening, I think, is a game changer. In San Francisco, Luz Pena, ABC7 News. So chat's speculating. I think um, one of the main things, one, Nordstrom, like I said, they're just on the record as saying they're going to change their business model, do more drop shipping, do more online sales, these these. I mean, how many square feet did that thing have to be like 25, 30,000 square feet, right? Just for one fucking store. Like what Tons. was the lease on that? And then like oh. the, 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 um, the clientele for Nordstrom is aging, right? They're, they're not like yes. it's an aging clientele. Um, yeah, I, I could show you something that the bad baby got from one of our well-meaning old friends, <laughs> uh, from Nordstrom. Um, that's, it's just a, it's, it's adorable, but it's one of those things we're going to probably put her in, take a picture and send to the person and then never, ever look at it again because it's oh, horrendous. Um, but anyway, long story short, 
Yes, it's it's just not. It's frankly none I mean, of these large scale soccer stadium where a department store used to be. You have to start thinking of like what the fuck? Who the fuck's bright idea was it to take up that much space with a single department store in the first place? Like, yeah. at the time, so at the time when that Westfield or that it wasn't Westfield at the time Westfield didn't exist, but when the San Francisco Center was built, it was state of the art and it was sort of state of the art for retail at the time too. This was pre Amazon. It was pre the 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 model we have today, which predates COVID again, as you astutely pointed out um but it, it the the paradigm shift had not happened yet um and it was really you know seen as you know st- again state of the art the, the 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 top of the class the 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 pinnacle of of retail and i remember distinctly as a kid going there with you know relatives maybe my grandmother and shopping and just to be honest with you like i don't i really never cared for shopping i fucking can't stand going to malls most of the time, except for really specific things that I need. And even then I hate it. Um, but uh, going to this particular mall and riding the escalator and, and in that atrium, you know, sort of as a kid, you know, just loving that aspect of it, not necessarily the stores. Right. Um, so it, to me, that, that that's the only thing I'm going to be missing is the nostalgia, but I don't understand. You're right. I, it, it, it's been perpetuated for too long, if anything. Right. It came about before all of this, this shift but it should have responded to the shift a lot sooner. And now it's a well, it's, Like I said, it's part of a longer term strategy. The, uh, the CEO of Nordstrom made statements going back quite some yeah. time saying that yeah. this was not going to continue. Um, <clears throat> I think they should, for, before they do anything, they need to film a zombie movie in there. That'd be kind of cool, right? I, I, I have to say, I want to say a film was shot there of some sort. Oh, I, I, don't know. I, I can't imagine there have, I can't imagine there not being hundreds of films where there were scenes in that that Nordstrom. It's very cinematic. It's it's very cinematic. It lends itself very well to that. So if anything, like I to be honest with you, like that's that's something I would think about is you know, fuck the the soccer stadium. I mean, God bless football and soccer and all that, but um forget a soccer stadium. Let's turn it into some sort of, you know, arts and cultural community center and, you know, sell rent out rent it out as a, a set for movies. Um, right. Because like with all that, right, you, you're talking about the atrium. That's basically yeah. unusable space in that building because it's open air. Whereas if it was built out to like, it's like a regular office building, that atrium wouldn't be there because there'd be floors. Like there'd be, you know, Correct. levels yeah. of the fucking, like there'd be floors there and you'd, you'd just, it'd just be like an office building. So either you have to radically redesign that building to make it so you can do like office building or mixed use, um, or, you know, retail and, and, and residential, or you have to do something creative with the space that already exists there. Cause that space was custom built for Nordstrom for a version of Nordstrom that fucking no longer exists and probably can no longer exist. Um, yeah. you know, they're moving to more of their, <clears throat> they're, they're opening more of the Nordstrom rack stores, which are more like a regular department store. Um, you know, so that has, they have to do something with it. I still say zombie movie before you do anything, film a fucking zombie movie in there. Hashtag zombie movie Nordstrom's. Um, yeah, let's, let's see, let's look at what we could, they can do to repurpose it first before they decide to tear it down and build a soccer stadium. Um, another stadium. Well, yeah. And I mean, tearing the building down is a, is a huge pain in the ass, but they're going to have to do something. Yeah. They can't just, make that regular retail space it was custom built for like there's no way that wasn't custom built for nordstrom at a certain time to look a certain way and like what is um you know is uh is, um, 
you know, they'd mentioned Ikea. Would Ikea move into that space? No, because yeah, the release would be too high and there's not enough usable square feet of and, like, and floor space. I, and Ikea has very specific, I'm sure, requirements, and they probably want to have their own build going on of their space. Because, the, I mean, if you've, have you been to Ikea, it's it's very much like a controlled environment. Um, they want you to stay, like, all day there. They have a restaurant. What, they, you know what would be really they food, cool? They have a food court at the, at the furniture store. What if they did the San Francisco Retail Museum in there? That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, why not? Uh, but then you know that that's not a real money making <laughs> money making adventure. Well, but it's you know, so part of cool. It, it's, it's a wing, a wing. It's a it's part of it, right? Like you have to th we have to see the bigger picture of how spaces like this can be used for a variety of purposes. Um, but it just takes a lot of work and partnerships and, and collaboration to do it. So let's 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 think outside the box. Let's let's there's, yeah. There, let I guess there's plenty of room in there to put a movie theater in. Have like yeah. a retail museum. There you go. Now you're thinking theater, you know, a little music venue, maybe like a club. Oh my God. Um, oh my God. I want to throw a rave in there. Uh, we'd get right? caught, right? There's, there's just too many windows. We'd get caught. <laughs> well, just don't put a giant like X on the roof, you know, lighting up the entire night sky and you should be fucking fine. I suppose as long as the, as long as the windows are double paned, you should be all right. So this next story, I saw something about it again on social media and it, you know, I thought the answer was uh, pretty clear as to why. This is going to be about two different uh, Westfield malls, one in San Francisco and one in San Jose. And like, I think the answer as to why, why this story is playing out the way that it is, is pretty clear, but I'm going to wait till after we uh, run the clip to give, Let's do it. give my opinion here. And Sun says San Francisco's Westfield Mall struggles. Another Bay Area mall is thriving. The Westfield Valley Fair in San Jose across from Santana Row is full of stores and shoppers. Bloomberg reports sales have increased by 66 percent since 2019. It's a stark contrast to the downtown San Francisco mall where Nordstrom just closed following other stores leaving the site. And now there are questions about replacing the entire Westfield at San Jose, San Francisco. Analysts say Silicon Valley has seen a stronger resurgence from the pandemic, in part because more suburban areas have been flourishing than larger cities. Twitter's up oh, there. We go. She answered the question. The reason the Westfield Mall in San Jose does really well is because San Jose is just a giant fucking suburb of a fake downtown, Damn and it. the mall's going to do a lot better there, especially if people have money. I'm mortally offended. I, I want to. I want to kill. No, I'm kidding. Um. No, we did, I, San Francisco absolutely deserves that reputation as much as I hate to admit it. Um, I wish it weren't so, and it has so much potential to be otherwise, but it just, it is, it really is the, the biggest suburban city in America. Um, and we just have to accept that, um, at least until we decide to not accept that. And that's a generational shift. It's, it's again, it's a paradigm shift. It's, it's, uh, it's a perspective shift. Um, it's a perception shift, right? San Francisco is perceived by 46% of Americans to be unsafe, right? San Jose is perceived by a shit ton of Americans and by San Joseans themselves to be a big fucking suburb, right? So as long as we consider ourselves to be a big fucking suburb, we're going to be a big fucking suburb. That's just how things, <laughs> that's, it's natural order of being, right? One thing leads to the, the next, right? We have to want to be a city. We have to want to be something else. We have to want to do something more. And a lot of us do, but we're stuck with all these thousands and hundreds of thousands of people who don't and who come to public comment at city council meetings in their first refrain, the first 15 seconds of their, their one minute, they get one minute and they spend the first 25% of their comment 
talking about how they have lived in this city for 40 years and they've owned their home for 50 years or whatever. And it's never been this bad. And they're so upset about this, that, or the other thing, right? Like the, the, some sort of sense of entitlement, like just because you've been here for a long time means you're entitled to uh, something more than the next person. Um, and it's something where I'm a third generation San Jose and like, I'm not, I've been, my family's been no, that's here. That's a San Jose alien. Sure. Sorry. San Jose alien. Thank yes. you. Um, but my family's been here. Right. But I don't make that, an, uh, I, I don't take that as a sense of like privilege and, and I don't expect anything, um, for it. Right. It's just more like, that's who I am. That defi- that kind of helps <laughs> the person, not, right? not for nothing, but like the, um, Valley Fair was there for a while, but as soon as Santana, the plans for Santana Row went went up, they basically uh, the the city basically urban planned that whole area to be an upscale shopping area. Yes, in a way that you can't do on Market Street in San Francisco because you can't, you just can't. Yes, there's a there's actually an urban use uh, land use designation in the general plan for that uh, area. Those those spots. I, for, I honestly, I'm so awful. I forget the specific one, but it's, it's not destination retail, but it's something like that. It's like major retail or, you know, uh, uh, regional retail, something like that is the, is the urban land use designation or the land use designation for that space, urban retail. But I mean, um, if so you you're just absolutely look at, right. They did that. They, they did that exact thing. Yeah. You know? Like if you just get old pictures of Valley fair before Santana row was there, and then you get pictures of Valley fair after Santana Dude. row got put in across the street, you're looking yes. at two different, you're looking at two different shopping centers. I'll give you one better, man. I, I used to, I tell my wife this all the time. I used to uh, go to Valley fair with my grandmother um, when it was an outdoor mall, it was just two sides of a strip mall outdoors. Like you, you know, there were no indoor corridors at all to get like, I think tennis shoes. There was a tennis shoe shop there. Um, that was not like, it was called like stride ride or some shit. It wasn't even like a legit, you know, foot locker. One of these places we go to for shoes today, it was just an independent foot store, right. Or a shoe store. Um, but it was at Valley fair and it was an outdoor mall near her place. And we'd go there and then we'd go to like whatever the burger, um, burger barn for, for burgers afterwards. And that was life, right? Oh, hum. Um, but now, now I go to Valley Fair and it's like Italy and like Shake Shack and like three, three, three or four different corridors inside where they trap you in this like world of commerce and expect you to just spend all of your money and your time and your life there shopping. Um, right. It's, it's, it's like just, almost like it's, a, it's almost like it's a painful. It's almost like you, they want, you could spend a whole day there and that's the point. You could, you could get tacos and you can get beer. I mean, and, and tequila. Oh, to be fair, I, I like the, I like their little, they got this little beer booth right in the middle of like the walkway. What I mm-hmm. used to like to do, like on, I would have all my shopping done on Christmas Eve night and I'd just sit there at that and just get trashed and watch all these <laughs> panicked people trying to buy some shit for Christmas the next day. <laughs> I need the chubby wubby. No, I need the chubby wubby. My child needs the chubby wubby. You don't understand. <laughs> well, you didn't see that, right? Because it wasn't like in a retail store, but you could see sure. the panicked look on people's oh, faces. Well, they're panicking about their, they're anticipating the conflict that's going to happen when they come across the last chubby wubby and the other parent comes across it too. And they're, 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 they're fearing that moment. They want to make, they would love to walk into a store in the chubby wubbies wall to wall and they can just grab whichever one they want. And their kid will be happy with it, but no, they need the specific fucking chubby wubby and there's only one left and that's their fear and you can you're right you can see it in their face it's like so at a different <laughs> at a different westfield uh san jose shopping center one that i used to yes. live just around the way from they've opened imagine a taco bell um but with a bar that's in, probably in a mall the- this is a recipe for disaster 
I don't know, man. That might help with like commerce if they're trying to stay open. But well, let's find out. Cantina is now open in one of San Jose's busiest shopping malls. Today's grand opening showcased what's different about the new store and what it means for the future of shopping malls. KTV South Bay reporter LaMonica Peters live tonight in San Jose with more on the story. LaMonica. Always looking good. And now you know why I put this in the disclosure. dock. My very first job was at a Taco Bell inside of a mall and never would I have imagined that I'd be sitting at a patio with a fireplace drinking a drink like this. No alcohol. <laughs> Taco Bell. Things change. People like to party, hang out. I think it's just a vibe. The newest Bay Area Taco Bell Cantina is now open in the Westfield Oak Ridge Mall. And yeah, they were like, we got to wait till Dave moves to open this, all right? San Jose. It has <laughs> this is going to be there all day. Display case, a pickup window, serves alcohol if you're over 21, and an outdoor patio that seats two dozen people. I take my teenage daughters to the mall all the time and my wife and I can just sit here and chill at the get drunk with our favorite beers and this uh, double shot margarita right here <laughs> that's a, that's a double shot in that take, near the century theaters get like a fucking you'd, like, you'd like you'd have like problems with the sugar in it before it gets you drunk yeah I would only taste the sugar probably and affordable like a hot dog that's almost stale is going to be like six to seven dollars rather than like you can get a taco for two retail analysts say getting people back into the malls and movie theaters has been a struggle over the last five years or so especially after the pandemic director of the retail management institute at santa clara university says restaurants like the taco bell cantina are a growing trend so i think the notion of a mall as just a place where you go and shop is transforming away from a mall as a place where you go get entertained and you have food and a combination of these things and that's what can be you're seeing here why they are locating next to that movie theater one woman says her daughter loves to eat taco bell and she likes having other alternatives at today's shopping malls when we were kids there was just the mall and you'd see sears and now sears closed and now you have that ufc gym and it's a pretty good place there's even a ranch uh, market Now, just to be clear, my drink is virgin, but you can add shots of alcohol. And because today is the grand opening, they are selling food and alcohol here until midnight. Now, they're also giving all guests who come by here tonight uh, a chance to win free food for an entire year at this Taco Bell. LaMonica Peters, KTVU, Fox 2 News. Okay, so I, I, I've changed my mind. I, thought, I was like, this is going to be a disaster. And then I thought of and Applebee's. You're going to get a much better experience at the Taco Bell Cantina than you are going to get at your average Applebee's. Oh, and your, do your dollar is going to go a lot further. I guarantee it, man. Like, it, who wants to spend $18 for a burger and fries, right? Plus tip and plus tax when you're, you know, you can go to Taco Bell, like the lady said, and get a taco for, well, I guess $2 now. Jesus Christ. Um, but still, uh, definitely a much better deal for your pocket. Um, before we just delve into really briefly, you know, the, just the beauty of uh, the, the concept, can I just point out, LaMonica Peters, just looking great. You know, her eyeshadow matched her 
dress. Oh, she which, she drip. Just she just got drip. Yeah, yeah. Which, she's, by the way, like that was like Taco Bell's brand color to that purple. That's the Taco Bell uh, that, brand. That may purple. have been a like, coincidence, she, but also uh, like somebody know, in the, somebody in the chat mentioned that she's got like a really she's got presents really. She's got a really good like she, news voice. She's hundred oh, percent. She's, she's. I hope she's going places. She's I really hope places. she's going places. She's going Vicky Wynn places. That's what I'm saying. Like you know, Vicky Wynn. Everyone, for a quick shout out NBC Bay Area now on the Today Show. So. Just yeah. point that out. Uh, yeah, LaMonica yeah. is going places. She wants to go places. She, as, as we've said in the past, she may be the hardest working person in Bay Area News, too, because there have been dockets we've put together where like every third story has been presented by her. Well, she learned how to work hard at Taco Bell, obviously, um, at her first job. So I, good I, on you know her. What? I, I, the thing, the other thing, I'm kind of mad. I'm like, you know what? Let, it, let a girl have a drink. <laughs> right? Unless maybe I, she doesn't I, drink. I... I I find that a little sus. I have to believe that there's something in that uh, that she's doing on the side, and that's and that's or, fine. Or maybe Absolutely. she doesn't drink. Maybe, she, you know. maybe, but you know, but it, it professionally probably shouldn't be, you know, on the job, right? But whatever. But, but she didn't have any of it. Would it like a fun segment would have been like, and now I have the rest of the night off, and I'm gonna own, I'm gonna enjoy this margarita. Back you know, to there's you. A sketch on. One of the late night shows has a sketch day drinking, right? Day drinking with LaMonica Peters. That would be awesome. <laughs> I, would, I would go on that in a second um, and just talk, talk, sh you know, shit about local news and what's going on out there. But, uh, but anyway, you, that's, 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 neither, that's neither here nor there. I, I feel like, yes. I, I don't know how well this talk, I think it's going to be like a fad at first. And I think people are just going to like, be like, I don't know. But like I said, it's probably a better experience than Applebee's. And you're probably less, less likely to have somebody punch you in the face than an Applebee's. I feel like there's probably a lot of fights at Applebee's late at night. I feel like I, Applebee's, know, I feel like you put an Applebee's in uh, any city and now it's the most dangerous city in, in the country. I don't know. The good wife and I took a stroll past the end of the bad baby took a stroll past the uh, Taco Bell Cantina on Market Street in downtown San Jose, just north of Santa Clara. I went in maybe a couple years ago. Um, one of the first wave of the cantinas. Um, there were some, there were definitely some undesirables hanging out in the patio there, um, who were scoping out the good wife. Uh, so just, just throwing it out there. I don't know. I don't want to say that they were going to be violent or anything bad was going to happen, but you know, it didn't look like the greatest place to, to bring the baby maybe. So we, we well, moved on to different environments. A lot of, probably a lot of tech bros. Yeah, that too. I mean, during the day it's, it certainly takes advantage of the, the downtown work environment, which is mostly yeah, tech bros. So I can't believe this fucking story you found. Forget your shit together. Oakland is, Pirates. if I'm not mistaken, they're um, putting together uh, an anti-piracy unit, but we're not talking about like software piracy. No, pi this is Pirate Patrol. This is like straight up from the kids network. Arr, Captain Hook. Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck. Let's let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and see what the new. I hope they I hope they make fun of this. Arr. And we told you yesterday about a pirate problem now plaguing the East Bay pirate estuary. Problem. Over the last six weeks, there's been a rash of thefts all along the water in Oakland and Alameda. Ann Makovic has more on how the OPD is now stepping up patrols by boat. Now you can call it the Pirate Patrol, which sounds kind of cool, but <laughs> unfortunately it's seriously outnumbered. There's only one officer currently assigned to the Maritime Unit full-time in Oakland. Officer Kaleo Albino spent 10 years in the U.S. Oh, poor, Navy before taking this assignment Albino. with the Oakland police. He patrols the estuary, making sure boats are operating safely and have the proper permits, but lately oh, he's been keeping an eye out for thieves. This summer has seen a real uptick in stolen motor and even full boats being taken. He's training 10 officers now to expand the unit, but he has this advice for boat owners in Oakland. Please secure 
anything of value. And that includes small outboard motors because that's what these thieves are tending to take is anything that they can pick up by hand and load into a small eight foot dinghy and they are in and out within a matter of seconds to minutes. It is a problem that people who live along the waterfront know all too well. It's every week. It's every week somebody's missing something from their boats or either their dinghies, their outboard motors or from their cars. Now, the people who operate boats along the estuary say they're doing all they can to keep an eye on each other's boats and run off any pirates who may show up. But it's usually in the dead of night. That's why police are now increasing their patrols between midnight and 4 a.m. when they have the staffing to do so. This reminds me of The Wire when uh, they were like, they were like, hey, uh, don't worry, we're going to we're going to make sure you land somewhere good. Where do you not want to go? to Jimmy McNulty and he's like oh I don't want to be in the maritime unit and what did they do they put him on the boat <laughs> so I wonder what that guy did to piss everybody off right you notice you didn't see his face just like with the thousand yards stare probably staring off and like what did I do to deserve this job um yeah <laughs> sorry just, I can't help it uh I, this almost landed on any other thing because it's almost it's just perfect for that segment too but it's really about getting your shit together. And really it's like, Jesus Christ, OPD, get your shit together. There's, there's so many bigger fish to fry. I can't imagine the community meeting when this was announced, if there was a community meeting and you know, they, they announced that this was happening. It's certainly going to come up at the next town hall with the, the district attorney, which I'm sure we'll hear about, um, you know, next week. They're going to blame um, the piracy quite, on her. Yeah, probably. I couldn't quite squeeze the town hall on the latest town hall on the, on the docket tonight. It was a little more of a, it wasn't really a recap so much as a, um, you know, half-assed, half half side shade story. Um, but yeah, I I think this will come up as another issue in the in the recall at some point. You're you're letting the OPD waste their time on the pirate patrol. It's like, well, I don't oversee that. No, I don't care. They're doing stupid shit and spending my tax dollars inappropriately. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe we we're in the wrong business, Bruce Dave. Piracy may be the way to go. It's not so much piracy as just. It's like, I thought I was thinking like, <laughs> I was thinking like bands of pirates and shit, you know? Oh yeah. Well, this no, is, it's, yeah, just, like, it's just, it's just theft. People are just like, oh, the people on boats have things too. We're going to steal shit from their boat. It's like, well, no shit. Those are thieves. Thieves, thieves right. going to thieve. Like they're just like on boats themselves. So right. therefore they're pirates, right? Like, well, I wonder if they were coming from by land, would they still be pirates? Yes. Yes. Still pirates. Sure. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Well, Shall we move down ballot? Yeah. The last uh, portion of our, our evening here. Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. We got a uh, got San Francisco's teachers union accuses the school district of fiscal mismanagement. Let's see what's going on here. Hot off the presses. Harsh accusations tonight against San Francisco Unified, a coalition of teachers and parents and union members say years of mismanagement and a looming budget crisis are destroying that school district. Yeah, the group is hoping to halt the rumored plans for campus closures. Here's NBC uh -oh. Bay Area Sergio Quintana. Hey! On the steps of the former San Francisco Unified Schools Administration Building, a group of teachers, trade workers, and union leaders chanted criticism of the district's long-troubled payroll system, a system that's bungled payments for some employees and lost them altogether for others. Now the group says it's bracing for news on possible cutbacks by the district. We reject the notion that staffing shortages and school closures are predetermined or unavoidable. This news conference is being held in anticipation of the regular school board meeting tomorrow. One of the items on that agenda 
is the allocation of school district resources. A 46-page presentation by the superintendent, Dr. Matt Wayne, includes no mention of any school closures. But it does spell out the district's falling student enrollment. It also notes there are several campuses concentrated in parts of the city where students don't live and acknowledges significant projected budget deficits over the next few years. A written statement from an SFUSD spokesperson says the district is focused on responsibly managing its resources, but teacher and staff employee unions and some parents accuse the district of making a series of bad decisions over the last few years, including hiring too many administrators and paying millions of dollars for a payroll system that's been riddled with problems since it launched last year. And the insult to injury is our members are still owed money, not from last month, not from last week, but from October of 2021. Rudy Gonzalez says there are only 76 campus maintenance workers servicing the whole district, and they're still waiting on more than $1.1 million in some back pay. This group insists many of the district's problems need to be solved before any talk of downsizing, and they believe enrollment could rebound if those issues are corrected. Because of the way the district has managed their schools, people are, don't want to send their kids there. The school board meets tomorrow afternoon to begin discussing plans for dealing with the district's looming issues. In San Francisco, Sergio Quintana, NBC, Bay Area News. So <clears throat> I think that may be wrong about the lower enrollment. I think the lower enrollment might just be a function of people can't afford to live in San Francisco and have kids. So there's going to be yeah. like less school-age kids in San Francisco. Yeah, you've got a couple um, competing interests here that are uh, coming into friction, right? Um, one is that enrollment's declining, um, not just in San Francisco, but across the board, everywhere, but particularly in cities where uh, cost of living is much higher than it is in more suburban or rural communities, right? So you're seeing a lot of families having to move uh themselves and, and to uproot themselves and put place themselves outside of the districts that they're in now. So you're seeing a lot of declining enrollment. Um, it doesn't preclude those families from having the, the parents from having to commute back here to work um, and makes it even more challenging for their kids. But that's beside the point. Um, enrollment's declining across the board and that leads to declining funding, which leads to less money to pay people and 80% of any public agency, you know, the fund, the, the expenditures is people. Um, so it's no surprise that you're seeing a crunch. Do I think that districts could have planned ahead better and should be paying their teachers better? Absolutely. I think teachers should be getting paid on the level of doctors and lawyers and all these hotshots that get, you know, $700, $800 an hour to you know, uh, push papers around and speak in legalese and, and confuse people and, 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 you know, shake people down, basically. Um, teachers should absolutely be in that kind of class of, of pay um, across the board, but it's not the district's, it's not necessarily San Francisco Unified's fault. I'm sure they have their specific issues. I'm sure they have got some problems, um, but it's more of a fundamental issue. It's at, at the state level, the, the national level, we're just not providing enough funding for education in general, right? And, to, and so I completely sympathize and support and would walk a p uh, picket line with teachers to get better conditions for themselves. Um, but, you know, th there's also just a reality of the fact that they're, you know, even if districts were completely magnanimous and, and bargaining in good faith, there's only so much they can do. Well, it seems to me like the, <clears throat> one of the big challenges here is to make like, 
basically to on the fly make these sort of systemic changes in the district, right? They're saying, well, there's couple of schools that are clustered together where there aren't any students, so the students have to go all the way across town. Well, okay, well, in a city like San Francisco, you can't just be like, okay, well, we're going to shut this school down and open another one across town. There's nowhere to do it. So it, it gets, it gets, you know, it's, it seems like it's it's a mess for uh, everyone involved, but like with the declining number of students, they're going to have to eventually uh, shut some of the schools down. It just seems like they need to be like with those projections. These plans should be like further out, and like more the like maybe more the stakeholders should be involved in trying to decide you know how 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 they're going to do this. Because uh, I mean, otherwise, you know, it just we're just in this, in this cycle where you don't close any of the schools, then all the schools are yeah. going to suffer from like lack of funding because there's just too many of them for the number of students and the teachers aren't happy. The administrators aren't happy. The students aren't happy. The parents aren't happy. And then the news gets to keep doing the same fucking story about the school district over and over and over and over again. Right. So, and suddenly San Francisco becomes an even less desirable place to live. Right. Um, well, for, for parents, for parents of young children. I mean, that, that, that I think, I feel like, I feel like that uh, red and white ferry has already sailed. Has already <laughs> sailed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, you're 100 percent correct. And uh, uh, at this stage, you know, so closing schools is the third rail of uh, school politics, right? And school board politics. They talk about Prop 13 in California being the third rail of politics, right? That's that's for legislature, uh, but school funding and this issue um, is and schools school closure specifically is absolutely the third rail in local school board politics. So it's something they just don't want to address ever, right? They don't ever want to have to do this and no one does, but they don't like, it's, it's like they're averse to even addressing it when they do have to do it until, until it's absolutely hundred percent necessary, right? Like the year before and they look at the budget and they're like, this is just not working. And they wait until the final moment and then all of hell breaks loose because they didn't plan ahead like you said they didn't think ahead they weren't uh they weren't willing to have the conversation they weren't ready to have the conversation with their community and they didn't have the conversation and that's unfortunate but that's exactly that's completely understandable it's exactly what i would expect to happen and uh because when it comes down to it school districts just like any entrenched public entity are really hesitant to have conversations around things that they know are going to cause a lot of work right and a lot of community are going to require a lot of community engagement a lot of family and parent engagement to resolve and to uh to, to, to massage so that you don't have a revolt in your hands you don't have more parents leaving the district because they can't afford to send their kids to private school or because they do have other options right where they can send their kids they can go live with granny across town or in another city where within a different district right like they have options and they will do it right the folks who don't have options have already moved on. Those are the ones who are leaving, right, and leaving town. Um, and then there's folks who don't have options who have to stay because they're just on that cusp, right? Like they have nothing else. They they have no parents have no other option than to send their kids to the private or to the uh, local public school in the neighborhood. And that's really what they should be able to do, and they should expect it to be their kid to get a good education and to be free from bullying and harassment and grow up in an inclusive, beautiful environment. But we all know that's not the case either, right? So. This whole system is imperfect. It's flawed. We all know it. Um, and there's just not enough people willing to have a serious conversation about how we can resolve it together and not just parents. Yeah, I just feel like people would be less or... pissed off about a school closing if they knew the school was going to close three years before it closed. Do you know what I'm saying? 
Well, yeah, no, the, what, the, the number one thing that it's, it's not so much like the, you know, okay, ho-hum, the school closed, right? Like, okay, I get it. You're right. If, if you lay it out for folks in advance, it's also about like, okay, my kid's going to get, you know, moved to a different space, but maybe with different kids, right? They're, are they going to be with their friends, right? The friends that friendships they've developed already. Um, are we going to, what, what are the impacts to our life, right? Like our morning life, like drop, drop off. How are they getting to school? Where's the bus? Where's the new bus, right? All these adjustments that have to be made, they're going to have to be made, right? Like you said, the school's fucking closing at some point. So why not start that process sooner and help parents figure this shit out and negotiate all this shit so that they really, all they have to deal with then is shit, my kid's pissed because they're not going to be with like X friend or Y friend or, or their friends, right? Like they're going to miss that space. Kids are fucking resilient as shit, by the way. Kids can get through a lot of shit. You, you have, I, I think people would be, um, you know, have their minds blown with what kids can actually survive and get through and adjust to and thrive under. Um, so don't worry about the kids, right? But it's this parents are freaking out because their lives are going to get uprooted in a lot of ways uh, that kids don't even perceive, right? Um, so that's what you really have to massage out when these things happen. And that's why the advanced notice would be so much more, and more realistic planning would be more appropriate. But again, they're just hiding from the conversation. So up next, we got a uh, San Jose has a proposal that would convert uh, a whole ass hotel to dorms. Uh, I, I think ostensibly for San Jose State University. And uh, let's, let's see what's what what like real uh, whatever. Let's see what the news has to say about it. This seems weird. From CBS News Bay Area, this is the evening edition. And this evening, we begin in the Bay Area's largest city unveiling a new plan to kill two birds with one stone. The affordable housing crisis and falling hotel occupancy rates. Devin Feely's in San Jose with a proposal to convert an iconic downtown hotel into college dorms. On some level, it must seem like a bit of an odd pairing. A luxury hotel on one side, student housing on the other. But it says a lot both about the need for more campus housing as well as the lingering after effects of the pandemic. I think more housing is good. Lucas Robbins says he nearly disenrolled from San Jose State this semester after not getting campus housing and then struggling to find an off-campus alternative. My friend actually had to skip this entire semester because they couldn't get any affordable housing. They, I, am, I got lucky because I have scholarship and have, my parents have been saving for a while. Lucas and his classmate situation underscores the university's need to provide more campus housing for its students and begins to explain why it's exploring buying the South Tower of the nearby Signia Hotel. University Vice President Charlie Foss said in a statement, the university is always exploring options to increase the availability of housing for its students, staff, and faculty, adding, no transactions have been finalized. If the sale and the conversion to campus housing were to come to fruition, it would mark yet another interesting chapter in the hotel's recent history. The former Fairmont Hotel was for decades the signature hotel in downtown San Jose, but filed for bankruptcy in March of 2021 during the pandemic. It would reopen under new ownership and a new name a year later. Well, I think it's evidence that uh, the pandemic has introduced changes right. to the economy, to society, certainly to the business sector. 
and those changes may be permanent. We're, sort, we're still sorting them out. But one of the impacts has been uh, a significant reduction in business travel. The hotel's South Tower has 264 rooms. According to SJSU, the university has just under 4,300 campus beds, but there's about 150 students currently on a waiting list for campus housing. I really do like that, that we're at least trying to find solutions somewhere. Uh, maybe that might not be the best place to put a student housing, but at least, you know, um, we're trying to find somewhere. Do they keep the turndown service? The university's efforts to increase affordable housing in the face of a dire need. Adding more is good, and I still think that we should also be fixing what we currently have, but adding more isn't bad per se. So when is a deal likely to be struck? That's basically unknowable at this point, and it's also unclear about whether or not the fact that this information has leaked out to the public will speed things up or slow them down. So <clears throat> I don't think a hotel is the worst uh, place to do this. Um, they've got like ballrooms that could serve as like like other things for the uh, like other facilities for the students, right? They could they could have uh, cafeterias. They could have like event spaces. They could you know do movies. Like they could do all kinds of cool stuff with the rest of the hotel. It's just like I hope they're not trying to cram two students into each of them fucking rooms. I suppose we'll see, but um, I, and I don't know what kind of meeting space and room space they have in that tower. Frankly, I don't know how much of it's in the main tower and how much it's in the south tower. Um, this is somewhat of a shift. I think the, the initial interest was in converting it to um, some sort of luxury housing, not luxury housing, but you know, market rate, which is pretty much luxury housing. So good on San Jose State for hopefully stepping in and seeing what can be done here. That would be pretty fabulous rooms, but um, yeah, some of them might be a little cramped for two people. Uh, so, uh, you know, although given the recent experience with our, our, our burgeoning family, right, uh, you know, it's getting a little tight in those rooms these days, but it, even two people, I think is still fairly comfortable, um, and could be done. So let's, let's look into what, what can be done. But I mean, uh, that would be two people like you're not, you don't have like a, you don't have to have like a desk, right? You don't have to be able to study and stuff in there for two people. Like it's, it's, I think like it, and like. I could see like maybe some of the bigger rooms, like at the top, like some of the more penthouse or whatever being like multiple mm -hmm. occupancy maybe, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, the right, standard hotel room, pretty fucking small. I don't, that's true. And when they have one, you know, there's usually like one desk and like a little table or an end table or something for, for the, for work, but you can also go to the library and other things when you're near campus. That's the beauty of a, a nice downtown campus and the beautiful library that the university shares with the city. Um, that's coming up on its 20th anniversary, I think, or 30th anniversary. Um, the, the New King Library, 20th anniversary. My God. Um, so please uh, support your local, your local public school. One of the best CSUs in the system. So we've gotten this right. far and haven't talked about Mayor Ed 209 yet. What is Mayor Ed 209 up to? I figured we had to have something. I know we're coming up on time, our time tonight, but uh, he is uh, very upset because uh, there are a lot of properties out there that owners are allowing to just get, you know, a little un seemly and unsightly and as he would call it blighted um so he's uh, proposing uh, new ways to crack down on those properties and those landlords we're gonna find out more san jose city leaders say it would take divine intervention to compel a property owner to clean up his investment that's now an eyesore so the mayor wants to increase fines by five times the amount to prompt compliance and prevent future abuses. Our South Bay reporter, Jesse Gary, live now in downtown San Jose with more on this idea. Jesse. 
Heather, we told you about the first Church of Christ scientist back in May. The owner assessed daily fines for allowing it to sit the way you see it, a tarp-covered mess, and now city leaders want to up the ante. What should be a point of civic pride that's turned into a point of frankly, embarrassment. Thursday, San Jose Mayor Matt Mahan and others. Well, that mayor should be a point of civic pride too, sir. Blighted properties. The target that's serving as a catalyst for action, the tarp-covered First Church of Christian Scientists. This could be a showcase for the city. You demolish that building. And people are so used to seeing this building as a pile of trash bags. Since June, the city has been fining owner ZNL properties $1,000 per day. That'll soon top out at $100,000. We have seen no indication from ZNL property that these fines are having an impact. The mayor, along with District 3 Councilman Omar Torres, wants the fine limit increased to $500,000. I will not allow this historically significant property to continue to deteriorate. You could probably do something repair-wise at that church with $500,000 in your hand. I'm not sure you could do anything if you had 100000 in your hand. The church was built in 1905, but a move by the original congregation left the building abandoned in 75. It sat dormant through the decades, one owner after another, promising renewal. There's a beautiful building underneath there. ZNL no. Properties is the latest with grand plans. Its successes are juxtaposed with a lack of progress with the old bus station and the church. City officials say COVID and legal woes for its CEO haven't helped, and the resulting malaise is hurting area residents and businesses. It's probably impacted our business a, a little bit. Um, nobody really wants to come down and park around the neighborhood and take a look at what is behind us we want to kind of no that guy's nice th that dude that guy's fucking little 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 outdoor patio is always cracking he's lying um, do conferences here do their shopping here we all deserve a safe clean city but it won't happen unless each of us does our part the city's rules and open government committee could approve the mayor's request next wednesday if not it would have to go to a vote of the full council sometime this fall well, live in downtown San Jose, Jesse Gary, KTVU, Fox 2 News. Heather, back up to you in Oakland. Yeah, Jesse, I mean, I can understand the mayor and, and other city leaders' frustration, but if the property owner isn't responding in any way to the current fines, why do they think that anything will change once they boost the fine amount? Not necessarily for this property owner, that's true, Heather, but you got to remember, other people are watching this and saying, mm. you know, $100,000, you know, maybe I just pay the fine and leave it and let it sit, as opposed to it's going to be a half million dollars, I better take action. So maybe it may not work in this case, but other people are watching, Heather. Yeah, it could set an example. All right, Jesse Gary, appreciate your reporting tonight. Thank you. So I don't like the, the term blighted. I think that a better way to do this would be like if your property is vacant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For a certain amount of time, if you have not leased it or sold it, we're going to start fining you. Sure, sure. I mean, they're they're also looking. They're they're trying to find a word to or a way to describe. Like you know, it, it's also unkept too, right? Like it's it's you can have a property that's been vacant, but you could also be spending money to keep up the property, right, and keep the frontage nice and keep it all you know keep it presentable, quote unquote. But they also have to define what that means, right? What does that mean? What does blighted mean? That's uh, why I don't yeah. like it. I think it's, it's, well, it's, it's, it's going to be applied time. unfairly. I think. Yeah, yeah, it will be one hundred percent. It's a code word. It's 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 a code word that's been applied to properties, primarily in lower income neighborhoods, neighborhoods of color. You know, uh, it, you know it's 
how it's how it goes. Um, so yeah, it's it's a, a loaded word that should not be used in this case. Um, it's there's certainly issues with that particular property and others where it's like yeah, I, you know there should be some. Well, really, there should be some standards for if they really want to do this. There should be some standards for upkeep and maintenance of vacant properties, right? And uh, and you know not just some vague allusion to blight. So uh, they need to really define like what does that mean, right? What does that mean? Does it mean you know no boards on the windows? Does it mean they come and clean the human and the bird and other animal feces off of the sidewalks? You know, this they... all, <clears throat> all this stuff is why I think that just vacant. After a certain amount yeah. of time, if you have not leased or sold your property, guess what? We're sending you a bill. Yeah, they do already. It's just not it, like it's, it's just not enough, right? There's no teeth to it. So it, um, they're talking about upping, just basically upping the fines. And I would, really I would, I would do like carve outs for like that's a historic building. If somebody buys it and they're like, they can start showing receipts that they have contractors going in there and mm-hmm. that they're putting the work into the building and that it's going to take longer than the amount of time. Fine, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, no, I totally, totally agree. But uh, there's. It, it's all about setting standards. And it's really hard to set a standard in this case, other than you're right. That's vacant. why I think vacant and is, time. That's and why time. I think vacant works so much better than blighted or right. not being kept. And it would totally apply in this situation. Like they said, right. 1975 is when the congregation left. Right. right. And it's pretty much been sitting there for 40, my whole life, like for almost right. 50 years, just sitting there. Right. So yeah, it would still apply and it would be completely applicable in this situation. So, and you're right. Like, and, like and again, vacant is, is, you know, it's, there's no, there's not really a whole lot of interpretation. There's no quibble there. Yeah. There's no quibble. Like <laughs> someone like, who's like, are you leasing it to someone? Right. Like the person who's like, I don't want to pay my property taxes because I'm, you know, or, or I'm living in the, uh, the, the unit. So I don't need to do that. Are you really living there? You come over there a couple nights a month. <laughs> right. But I mean, <clears throat> I would, this would be commercial property, obviously. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Just giving an analogy so. there. Well, anyway, we're, we're going to move on to Anne. Another thing, we usually have an animal interest story, and in this case, uh, fucking fuck yeah, we have an animal interest story. <laughs> the otters are on the rise, not just in Monterey Bay, but also in Lake Tahoe, apparently. Yeah, here we go. Uh, the, rip, the river otters are just like, they're like, get the fuck out of here. Is this a Lamont computer story? We'll see. I don't know. Being warned to be aware of their surroundings after two recent river otter attacks near Lake Tahoe. An attack last month on the Feather River left a woman covered in bites. The director of River Otter Ecology Project tells us just how rare these types of attacks are. I think it's very likely that the river otters were close to people in the river. People were um, floating by or swimming by, and they got close to the otters. And otters are frightened of people. Even though they look cute and cuddly, they view us as frightening, um, as a frightening event in their lives. Isidore has advised people to leave the area immediately in the event of an attack. I wonder why they're... Yeah, right. I wonder why they're afraid of humans. All we do is tag them and bag them and put them on display and, <laughs> yeah. and say, here, eat this, Fido, and jump around um, right. You know, while, while a bunch of babies, like, you know, cry behind a you know, yeah, glass I'd, wall. I'd, I'd be afraid. Like, the aliens came here once and never came back. How do you think the otters feel about us? <laughs> At least the aliens could fucking leave. Right. They checked it out. They're like, yeah, not for me. Not for me. Um, well, anyway, uh, go on, good on the otters for fighting back and uh, t- reclaiming their territory and reclaiming their time. I'm very proud of them, um, and I look forward to covering them more in the future and to, to more episodes of Down Ballot right here on Echoplex Media. You want to read the show out? 
Oh, all right. Uh, well, thank you, listener and viewer, for joining us. As always, back on Tuesday nights, 7.30 Pacific. We'd love to see you. Please stay tuned for public comment, um, the absolute best after show in the history of all after shows. And please tune in next week for the 11th best news podcast in California, according to somebody. Um, we really encourage you to get your vaccinations, to wear masks in public. If you want to wear pants, it's entirely optional. But for now... I want you to sit back, relax, listen to Audible Smoke, play us out, and think about going to echoplexmedia.com and signing up for all the fucking things. We love you. Have a great night. Peace out. <laughs> To get the party started Pick up my phone Just to check and see who's calling Dress up real nice For the ladies at the bar And I'm driving in my car Just to get to where they are Here at the local scene Is where I plant my feet It's where I smoke my cigarette And I hold my drink I look at all my friends They're all blazing greens Here at the front of the stage Waiting for FTV Where are those guys Who's standing next to me With a pipe in his hand Ready to blaze for me About five minutes later We're all singing We let get the fuck up on stage and rock the scene, yeah. We do what we want, and what we want is to jam. So sit back and enjoy the band. We do what we want, and what we want is to jam. So sit back and enjoy the band. Enjoy that band. I turn and head back to the bar for a refill, man, because you know where we are. We're headed out to the car To smoke another one what? And another one Woo! Now just when the magic starts kicking in Now here we left playing And you know it's time to head in Alright everybody now it's time to grab a new drink Spark it if you got it And then pass it to me yeah. We do what we want And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band We do what we want we want is to jam, so sit back and enjoy the band, enjoy that band. Last up on the bill for the show tonight, it's down and dirty and five, so we're headed outside to spark up another joint. Now who's got my lighter? Stoner E, of course, shouldn't you be inside? I'm all up in this bitch being who I gotta be. I'm fucked up like the U.S. economy. The truth is, is that I don't think logically. Stoner E, take you on a psychedelic odyssey. Now inside motherfuckers is rockin' me And outside shit we smoke a lot of broccoli Rockin' the rolly, all the sexy girl be jockin' me Ain't too drunk to fuck, but I'll probably do a sloppily We do what we want, what we wanna do And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band We want us to jam, so sit back and enjoy the band.
Hey, this is HK Perrin, and you're listening to Echoplex Media. Check out The Plex live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Pacific on twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia.